Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Morning. Let's pray and then we'll jump right into it. God, we are thankful for your word. We ask that this morning you will open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes to what it is you want to say to us and you want to speak to us. Uh, Lord, personally and corporately as a church um, and even as the universal body of Christ, the church, we ask that you will give us insight into how to live our life, the changes that we need to make personally, how we need to love the people around us. Lord, we ask that we can understand your vision better today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Words have a very special ability to create. We've talked about this with the book of Genesis. We talk about it in the beginning of John. But words have a very specific power, which is very interesting that another human being can open up their mouth. This blows my mind. And make sounds from their face whole, right? Just make sounds. And these sounds... All they are are just agreed upon terms and definitions, right? That's all they are. We just agree that this, these sounds we make, what I'm communicating to you, you just go, oh, okay, those are words. But words have the power to do something very spiritual. And it's interesting to me because sometimes, have you ever seen children that are just well-adjusted children? You know, the ones that they've just been raised well and you look at them and you're like, somebody spent some time, you know, with this. My dad's got dogs like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's just, he's just spent so much time that his dog, and it's, it's kind of rare, at least in my, when I look at my dogs, my dogs are like, you know, just kind of look, but his dog's like, look him in the eye, like, say what you want me to do and I'll, I'll eat him, I'll get him, I'll, whatever. And he'll just say these certain words. He had one one time he would say, back up. And the dog would look him in the face and be like. <laughs> and just w- words have this amazing ability. And you see these kids, well-adjusted kids, who somebody has spent a whole lot of time spoon-feeding them attaboys and accolades their entire adolescent life. But then you see the other kind, right? The ones they've heard things and seen things. And they've had to process words and phrases in their life that has caused something very, very deep and dark to happen inside of them. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because so much of that is based on words. And we go out into the world and we just toss our words around, just kind of throw them out there like they don't mean anything. They have the ability, the power of life and death, right? It's in the tongue. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. One guy refers to it as death by a thousand paper cuts, where you can do something very, very good, and then somebody can come along and be like, eh, I've seen better. And a hundred people could tell you you did something great, but one person who says, eh, it's all right. Which one do you remember? Oh, it's under your skin. Hate it. (laughs) Years ago. I wasn't going to tell the story, but it's too great. Years ago, this guy I knew, it, he always wore this great big trucker hat, you know, like the big tall one. 
And he was kind of a pessimist kind of guy, just kind of... I'd finished up a sermon, and he comes up to me and he says, Well, at least you get better every week. Like, there was something that just broke inside of me. And I think it was my compassion because instantly I was like, I know he's old, but I'm going to push him down, you know? <laughs> I said, well, thanks. <laughs> Went home. I was like, freaking get him. I'm going to get him, you know? Just those... But the same thing is true with positive words. Somebody can come along and they can say something to you. You can have a down day. Somebody speaks something to you. And it's like the heavens opened up and all of a sudden you heard from God because somebody said, you know what, I really like that blouse. And you're like, thank you. Which I don't wear blouses, wear shirts. <laughs> but there's just certain things that can happen in your life. And I had this situation happen to me the other day. It was this last week. On the negative side, I'd spent a whole lot of time working on this project, and it's just the words, just the, you know, why do people say dumb stuff, you know, like that kind of thing, why would you, everything was fine, here's the scenario, I've been working on this project, and I needed a whole lot of rock, great big huge like native field stone, the limestone stuff, I needed a bunch of rock, so I got this trailer, and I went in and Got a load of rock. Nice lady answered the door. She said, help yourself, help yourself. I said, thank you very much. Went back the next day. Said, I need to get another load of rock. Is that okay? You and the, the guy stepped out, and I hadn't met him yet. He said, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Take all you want. You can have all you want. And I said, awesome. Well, I sure appreciate it. And if the conversation would have stopped right there, everything would have been fine. But it didn't. You know what he said? Watch out for snakes. <laughs> oh, you. Son of a gun, you. Watch out for snakes. Watch out for snakes. Four words. 250 rocks. 1,000 snakes underneath every single rock. That's what was it. I almost saw so many snakes that day, I was petrified. Every rock I picked up, there's got to be a snake underneath it. Even the ones I put on the trailer after I had left the place... With the rocks, I got back to my house. I'm moving them off. Every rock I picked up, probably a snake under here. Probably. If he would have never said it, I would have been fine. <laughs> Wasn't thinking. And here's what's worse is when somebody says, you know what? I got a new dog. You know what I instantly think? Puppy. Oh, you got a puppy? I love puppies. Love them. When somebody says, I got a new cat. They kind of love kittens, you know? When somebody says, watch out for snakes, you know what I think? Freaking king cobra, anaconda. Rattle-headed copper moccasin, 50 foot long. That's what I think in my... I don't think like, ah, just a grass snake. I think I'm probably going to die today. That's what I think. <laughs> it's amazing. Words have the power to just mess you up, slither in your ear, just infest your brain with, ah, oh, every single rock. Words have this amazing ability to change the way we think to change the way we see things. John's gospel does the same thing with words. 
There are certain words that he says that you have to be very, very cautious. And as we pick them up and we look underneath them, you have to know these words are slippery. And they mean things. And they point to things. And they get inside your brain and they make you question other things. In fact, the first two verses of John chapter 3 do the very same thing. Let me read them to you. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who is from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. One of those slippery words is Pharisee. Now, we tend to think of things, Pharisees, as very, in a kind of a negative light. But if you were a normal Jewish person, you strive to be as holy and as righteous as the Pharisees. But he's not just a Pharisee Pharisee. He is a Pharisee of the Jewish ruling council, meaning he is a Sanhedrin Pharisee. Pharisee. Sanhedrin Pharisee. This is the highest political ruling office that you can hold. And he is a part of the Pharisees who look over Pharisees. He's important. What else is interesting is he came to Jesus when? Did you hear the music? Dun, dun, dun. Did you hear it? And he came to Jesus at night. Like, just okay, pay attention. Why? Why is that important? Because his position was one that if he would have shown up to see Jesus in the daylight and would have asked him these personal questions, conversation couldn't have happened like that. He came to see Jesus at night. He can't compromise his position. He's enamored with who Jesus is, and he's come to three different conclusions. He's gathered up as much as he can from watching, him, watching Jesus at a distance. He's seen Jesus, my guess, is that he witnessed him in the temple turning over the tables, running the cattle out in the street. This was in Jerusalem. This is the Sanhedrin Pharisee. He probably saw it happen. He probably saw the miraculous signs, which he mentions. And Nicodemus has been around long enough to know that you just don't get to do miracles. Just any nobody gets to just do miracles. You don't walk around and just do miracles. If you do, there's something special about you. And Nicodemus has stood off at a distance like this, like mm, enamored with who Jesus is. This is what we call friend of the faith. This might be you. Friend of the faith. Not ready to go all in. Mm, like to. I like who Jesus is. He's caught my eye. He does stuff that tells me he's got to be from God, but I... And I need more. We need more information. I need you to meet me halfway. And Nicodemus comes at night. Nicodemus had an understanding of the way the world worked. And he doesn't ask a question. But Jesus does answer it. Which is odd. Nicodemus looks at him and he says, I know you're from God. Your teacher calls him rabbi. You've got to be from God. A teacher from God. You do miraculous signs. That's another thing. And the fact that he came at night tells you the third thing. 
he saw Jesus as a controversial character. And might I, might I tell you, Jesus is a controversial character. If you don't know that, or you don't believe that, just bring him up. See what happens next. Or just knock on your neighbor's door and just say, can I talk to you about Jesus? And see what happens. Controversial character. Nicodemus has come to this deal, but he needs more information. So he comes to Jesus at night and he says this to him. And he didn't really ask a question, but the question is kind of implied. We know that you are this, and we know that you are this, and we know that you are this. What else? Can you, can you tell me more? Can you tell me more about you? Can you? Where's this whole thing you're doing? Where's it going? What are you doing with this thing? Is this movement? You're trying to overturn the government? We're going after Rome? You're coming after us? What are you doing? Jesus looks at him and he says, No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. Okay. For us, it seems so disconnected. So disconnected. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with them. And Jesus replied, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. There's two things you need to know. No one can see the kingdom of God is the word experience. You cannot experience the kingdom of God. And the word again is the word from above. Not born again, born again, like born again. Born from above. Well, this would make sense to Nicodemus from the standpoint of, if you are going to go to heaven as a Jew, do you know what you have to be? Born of a Jew. No man can see the kingdom of heaven or experience the kingdom of heaven unless he is born, and Nicodemus probably finishes the sentence in his head, of course, born a Jew. And Jesus says, born from above. And Nicodemus goes, wait, what? Born, did you say from above? Yeah, of course I said from above. How can... How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks. It was almost like, the, like I'm trying to get on board with your metaphor, Jesus, but I'm, but I'm having a hard time understanding. And that's because in Nicodemus' mind, salvation to the Jew was this. Do you know how you get to go to heaven if you're a Jew? You have to have a mommy and daddy that was a Jew. You must be born of a Jew. Now, there was another option. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to assimilate, you were a Gentile proselyte, proselyte, I think, you wanted to convert, here's what you did. Cut off your Gentile family, be completely immersed underwater, mark all your relationships with all the people you had before who were Gentile away, cut them off, and then join us and run in this circle as a Jew, Jewish Gentile. You could convert then. Nicodemus is not a Gentile. And he's already been born once of a Jewish woman. And then Jesus says you must be born again or born from above. How can one be born 
again. Can a man enter his mother's womb to be... Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus says... Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? I've already been born a Jew. I'm already here. Surely he cannot enter his mother's womb to be born again. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. You see, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Your lineage, your heritage, your bloodline, that's flesh, and it gives birth to flesh. And what does that count in heaven? Well, if you ask Nicodemus, it counts as everything in heaven. Why? Because we are God's people. There's a distinct line here. We are God's people. We are Jews. Jesus, you're a Jew. You know this. And he says, yeah, but you must be born of water, natural. And you must be born of spirit. Nicodemus says, how can this be? Look at this passage. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again or born from above. Let me, let me put it to you like this, he says. The wind blows wherever it pleases, right? You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It sounds so disjointed. I had so much trouble trying to keep up with Jesus in this, in this story. But here's what I could piece together to the very best of my ability. Let me give you an example, Nicodemus, of what I mean when somebody is born of the Spirit. When you're born of the Spirit, that means that there has been a conversion from the inside out. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You were a Jew because your mommy and daddy were a Jew, but you don't get to get in the country club just because you have the right last name. You don't get to go to heaven just because your lineage says, oh yeah, well, we honor Abraham and Moses and David as our forefathers. Well, good for you. What have you done for me lately? What have you done? Who are you? Have you personally connected to God? And Nicodemus says, how can this be? What you're saying, Jesus, is this. That there seems to be a conversion. The wind blows wherever it wants to blow. Change happens on the inside of people. Have you ever met somebody who you thought to you, <laughs> maybe it's happened, I know it's happened here, people have said it. They walk in and they're like, wow, that guy goes to church? Not just that guy goes to church here. That guy goes to church? And then later on, it's like, that's not the same dude I knew. That's a different guy. Where does that come from? How did he get there? What changed? He was off the rails at one point. And then, now he's this straight and narrow guy. Got a beautiful family. Loves his wife. Cares about others. How does that happen? It's mysterious. Jesus says to him, just because something is invisible doesn't mean that it can't be evident. Can you see the wind? Nicodemus says, well, of course not. But you can hear it combing through the trees, can't you? Yeah, you can feel it on your face, can't you? Yeah. Does that mean it's not there because you can't see it? No. There's a change that's coming, Nicodemus. The gates are wider to heaven than you might think. I know you understand it as that a man must be born of a Jew. 
Nicodemus, he's got to be born from above as well. There's got to be personal investment, personal conversion on the inside. Nicodemus' mind is just absolutely blown. Jesus says to him, why would you be surprised about this? I tell you the truth, no man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is now fully invested in the conversation. And he says, how can this be? I understand salvation to be what I've always understood it to be. And I've been teaching this for years. I'm a teacher of teachers. And now you're coming in here and you're telling me everything's going to change? How can this be? This is kind of an identity crisis for our friend Nicodemus. Everything's kind of falling apart a little bit. Everything I thought to be true that I've been teaching might not be exactly right. Jesus gives him a little bit of a chiding right here. Nicodemus says, how can this be? And Jesus says, how can this be? You're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things. How can that be? I'll tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people will not accept our testimony. Verse 12, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? Nicodemus, I sit right here and I tell you, listen, when somebody changes from the inside and they truly connect with God, they're a different person and you couldn't get your head around it. You're stuck over here with this idea of, but is he a Jew? But, 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 but is he a Jew? Wapner at three? And that's where you're stuck. You and this rain man thing, but, 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 but he's got to be a Jew. And Jesus comes over and he says, something different. We're on the edge of something different now. This is moving into a new area. How can this be? Jesus looks at him and he says, I've spoken to you about these earthly things, about true conversion here. If you can't understand that, how in the world would you understand heavenly things? The heavenly things I think he's, that I think he's talking about right here is Jesus' own identity. I think he's talking about his own divinity and his own identity. You see, his disciples, it took them a little while to get on board with who Jesus was. And then they believed in his name, and then he did something else. And then they put their faith in him, and then they did something else. And then they begin to trust him. But Jesus didn't entrust himself to everyone. But the disciples come along, and they begin to put their faith in, them, in him. And Nicodemus is on that edge, like, I can't get over that hurdle. Like, it's always been this way for me, and I've always thought of it to be this way. And you're going to change it all right now? No, it's not a change. It's not a change. There's no changing. God's not change. But his plan is unfolding as we speak. And this is what it's going into, Nicodemus. If you can't understand that, you're going to have a real hard time understanding me. And I can be honest with you. If you can't get your head around the idea that people can change and not be the same way, and if you think that somehow your spirituality is tied to all the good deeds you do, and it has nothing to do with Jesus... And if you can't see yourself as bankrupt spiritually and your only hope for heaven is Jesus, I would tell you the same thing. You've heard about these earthly things and you don't believe them, but you can't understand heavenly things. How in the world could you understand heavenly? You are bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. 
only thing you have to offer Jesus is your life. And if anybody else was in line to buy it, unfortunately there's not. Just him. How in the world would we ever get there without him? How could we ever understand it? If we are stuck over here with, well, I just do a lot of good things. I help a lot of people. And I think that's going to get me into heaven. Got bad, bad news for you. You're going to be really surprised when you see who's there. Really surprised. He's our only hope. How can I tell you about spiritual things, heavenly things, if you can't understand these earthly things? Jesus goes on. No man has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And Jesus makes this wild jump again. It's just like, ha! Like I was almost on board with what you were talking about, Jesus. And then you started talking about snakes again, you know? It's kind of interesting. Jesus says, if you can't believe these earthly things, how in the world can I tell you about heavenly things? But Jesus doesn't mind going ahead, going ahead and walking Nicodemus into the deep end of the pool. You want to see? Okay, come on. Nicodemus is drowning, you know, drowning in information. He, he mentions a story here. He says, just like when Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, to us, it's kind of like, uh, vaguely remember the story. I'll tell it to you. Israel was notoriously complaining, which might I add, is a sin. So the next time it happens in your house, feel free to say, that's a sin. Stop your complaining. Don't be complaining all the time. You know what complaining does when you, when you begin to get it in a group? It begins to infect everybody else. You're complaining. Because words have that power, right? Somebody was doing too much complaining. And they're in the wilderness. And God's trying to get something done. He's got Moses leading them out of Egypt. They get them in the desert. They, crawl, they got past the Red Sea. They got past Pharaoh. They've avoided all these other wars. And they're going down the road. And then all of a sudden, he's just complaining, complaining. God has one of those moments. Want to complain? Want to complain? I'll give you something to complain about. How about this? Snakes. And that's what he does. Want something to complain about? Okay, how about this? Snakes. Snakes. Just roll right into camp. Like, God, what's up with the owl? Oh, what is up with the owl? Son of a gun. Hey, hey, time out, time out. I told you to stop complaining. Now, now I'll stop you complaining. Like, okay, we're done, we're done. We're done complaining, we're done. These snakes are poisonous. These people are laying there swollen, you know? Like, like, is it bad? Somebody else is like, I don't know. I'm not looking at it. I'm not looking at it. Like, I hate snakes. They begin to beg Moses. Hey, 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 please go to God. Please ask him for healing. We need healing. Moses says, God, what do you, what do you say? I mean, I'm tired of hearing him complain too. I mean, if you want to get him a while longer, we can get him. Get him. I don't care. I mean, I don't like snakes myself, but... He says, I want you to fashion a snake, take a snake, a copper, or bronze, or brass, or something, put it around a pole. You ever seen this emblem? Where have you seen it? Doctor's office. So the snake is wrapped around this pole, hoisted up. It's called the standard. Military guys, they carry a banner, and that's the standard what, underneath what you fight or you live under. This is the standard. Put it on a pole. And everybody looks to the pole. 
And he says, now if these people will humble themselves and look to the snake, they'll be healed. The people begin to humble themselves. Look towards this snake that's lifted up on this pole. And as they do, their bodies are healed. And everything's okay. God says, stop your complaining. No more complaining. No worries. Just no more snakes, please. No more complaining. What Jesus says to Nicodemus is this. Son of man is going to have to be lifted up because the people are dying of something. Something on the inside, Nicodemus. Something that goes beyond your bloodline or your blood type or your last name or your heritage. People are dying of something far uglier and far bigger and far more destructive. And it's the sin in their life. And there's only one healing for all the pain and all the poison that has infected all of the world. And they must look to the cross. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. There's a very controversial word here, everyone. Nicodemus is having a hard time widening the road for everyone. You mean the Jews, everyone. And then this powerful statement that has affected our life forever. And it probably blew Nicodemus away. Now, commentators and historians, they go back and forth on whether or not Jesus said this next verse, or if this is John giving a dissertation on the story. We don't know. But here's the phrase. For God so loved the, and Nicodemus would have thought, Jews. But the word is what? Thank you. Very well done. Very well done. What's your name? Ron. Ron? Yeah. Nice to meet you. Ron, I'm Jared. Thank you. For God so loved the world. The world? The world! You mean the middle class white conservatives? The world! You mean heterosexuals? The world! You mean tax-paying tax citizens? The world. The entire world. And if anybody in the entire world will look to the standard, Jesus Christ, they'll find eternal life. Nicodemus wanders off into the darkness. Jesus goes about his business. And Nicodemus has got to wrestle with this thing the rest of his life. He only said a few words. It's amazing how some of those words, these agreed upon terms and definitions, move into our life and they change us completely. And as Nicodemus walks off, he has to think to himself, for God's loved world world Ron thanks for your help appreciate it
Let's pray.